Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Good morning. Um, it is good to be back at KBC. Um, like a lot of us, uh, we were on vacation uh, this last weekend. Uh, we were visiting my family in Philadelphia and also spent a little bit of time at a place called Sesame Place, which is the world's only Sesame Street theme park. So I was hanging with Elmo and Snuffy. Snuffy's really cute if you've ever seen Snuffy. He's like this big mastodon or elephant. But, but that was a lot of fun. Um, and actually, Christine and Graham, they're still on vacation there down in Virginia visiting some of uh, Christine's old friends. But but for me, it's good to be back here because vacation is great, but I don't know about you. It's really easy for me on vacation to feel and get disconnected from the Lord. It's because my rhythm changes a little bit. Um, it's more challenging for me to connect, uh, but nothing is more uh, reinvigorating uh, than being able to be here with my church family and worship together. So thanks to Adam for leading us this morning in worship team. Um, and it's good to be back and I'm excited for the opportunity to finish up which had, which, what has been a four-week series uh, called Life Together. I believe Jesse's going to be back next week. Is, is he? Hope so. Okay. Like, we're, we've all been on vacation. Like, I don't know who's coming or going, but I'm pretty sure Jesse will be here. Um, but this morning, we're going to talk about the topic of giving. Uh, and before we go into 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I want to share with each of you a story from my own life of a significant beginning. Now, 21 years ago, it was the summer of 1998, and I was getting ready to head into my sophomore year at Northern Illinois University. And as that summer was drawing to a close, um, I wanted to find a job on campus. And it just so happened that summer I got a letter from a place called uh, the NIU Husky Telefund. Um, and this was the university's call center uh, where students call alumni and ask for donations to support the school. And the hours seemed really good. They could fit into my schedule that semester. Um, so I applied, got called for an interview, was invited to training. I mean, during that training, I was taught how to engage and connect with people over the phone, um, build good rapport, make a compelling case for supporting the university, how to ask for a donation, how to respond to the uh, objections, right? And I, um, I was one of those students, right? So um, you've probably gotten a call from them and hung up on them or hopefully you've been nice. But um, I remember my very first night um, on the phone. I was scared to make calls um, and ask people for money, but I powered through. I remember on my very first night, I got someone to make a gift of $250, their first time donation to the university. So I was surprised, right? I'm like, people actually do this. They actually give money to the university. And the reason why this was a significant beginning for me is because it has started what has been a 20-plus year career in fundraising. Right? And over the course of these 21 years now, I've asked people to give money over the phone, through mail, through email, in person, through social media. I've run golf outings, silent auctions. I've worked at NIU, Wheaton College, Josiah Venture, Harper College. 
I get tired just thinking about my career. But, um, but all, all this trying to perfect this glamorous art of what I tried to do 21 years ago during my sophomore year, which is making a compelling case for support that connects with people in a way that causes them to want to make a donation. So over my years, I've spent a lot of time thinking about the answer to the question, why do people give? Right? And as we're kind of going through today's uh, sermon, I would ask you to consider asking yourself that question. Um, why do people give? Or better yet, why do you give? Do you give? And if you do give, what is your motivation for giving? When the elder team sat around and discussed potential topics for a summer preaching series, I jumped at the opportunity to talk about giving. Number one, because of my background uh, professionally, and because from a biblical perspective, it's a topic uh, that I've studied quite a bit. When I was working for the mission organization Josiah Venture several years ago, I was doing national and international trainings, um, helping to train missionaries on how uh, about biblical principles for giving, and how to ask others to partner with them financially. So it's a topic that I've been passionate about and vested in. Uh, but the other reason I was interested in tackling the topic is, is because it's one in which we have an interesting history at Kishwaukee Bible Church. Now, we rarely talk about giving at KBC, both in terms of it being a spiritual discipline um, and in terms of asking uh, for contributions. It doesn't play a regular role in the life of our service. We don't do an offering. I was visiting a church last weekend. I'm like, oh yeah, churches do offerings. You almost forget that that's part of most churches. Like we've got two black boxes um, in the back where you can drop off a donation. And in one sense, there's something really nice about that. We don't overemphasize giving money. We don't talk about it at barely at all, except when we get to our uh, annual meeting or when we do benevolence offering every once in a while. And I've talked with people over the years who've really appreciated that about our church. It's kind of unique. But there is also a downside of never talking about money and finances because the Bible has a lot to say about money and finances and our view of money and the role of money um, in our lives. It's something that we should be discipled in and challenged about. Not every week, um, not even every month, but regularly. And just like we should excel in other areas like prayer and humility and service, we should excel at giving as well. Our mission here at KBC, hopefully you know it, which is to follow Jesus by growing Jesus followers. And by not talking about giving at all, we have neglected an important component of what, of what being a Jesus follower is all about. And this is something that we've recognized um, as an elder team. And, and in preparing for this sermon, and there are times where I felt really challenged on what to say and how to say it because talking about money and giving is a sensitive topic. And it's sensitive for a lot of reasons. I mean, this morning, my hope, my heart is that I want to talk about money and giving in a way that's not designed to make people feel guilty or stressed out because nothing stresses us out more than money and finances. I'm really sensitive to the fact that there have been a lot of churches and church leaders who have abused the topic of giving and have used donated funds for self-gain um, instead of advancing God's kingdom. 
I'm also sensitive to the fact that a lot of us here are struggling financially and would never want to give the impression that you have to give um, in order to walk through the doors of KBC. You don't. But because of the baggage that this topic sometimes carry, oftentimes it's a topic we avoid talking about altogether. But in doing so, we neglect and a major part of our Christian lives that deserves for us to be challenged in. Um, giving and the role of money in our lives is an important component of our life together. Uh, and despite the baggage this topic carries, we're going to let God's word talk about it this morning. And let's not be afraid to be challenged about it. And my prayer today is that we explore this topic, that you will understand that giving is something that is used for God's glory. It's something that should be done cheerfully from the heart. It's for all of us. And then when we have the desire to give, God, by his grace, is going to supply all we need to be generous. So our past, the passage that will guide us this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 9, um, verses 6 to 8. But before we jump in there, um, let me pray. Heavenly Father, our great Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together this morning in Jesus' name. And as we open up your word, God, I pray that you would use it to challenge us, that you would use it to grow us, Father. I pray that you would use it specifically to help us understand the role of giving in our faiths and in our life together as followers of Jesus. We thank you for our Savior, for our salvation, by your grace. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. So quick background on the book of 2 Corinthians. I know last week I listened to the audio that Jeff uh, was in the book of 1 Corinthians talking about our, our differences. Um, but if I were to summarize the book of 2 Corinthians, um, I would do it with one word. If I only had one word, that word would be defense. Defense. Um, that's because throughout much of the book, Paul is defending and validating his ministry to the Corinthians because they had been infected by false teachers who caused the church to doubt Paul after his initial visit to them and after his writing of 1 Corinthians. And these false teachers um, got the question, they, they, they seemed to emphasize things like strength and outward appearance. Some theorize that these false teachers got the Corinthians to question Paul's motives for collecting the financial gift that we're going to talk about. But from a worldly perspective, it wasn't hard to win the argument that Paul was weak. I mean, he wasn't an impressive guy. He was getting beat up. He was getting imprisoned. Um, but a key to the book of 2 Corinthians is that God's glory shines through our weakness. In fact, a lot of us know and love 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, where it says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. But the Corinthians were thrown into turmoil by false teachers um, who questioned this. So Paul called the Corinthians out on this, uh, and most of them saw the error in their ways and repented, but there was still a small minority that opposed Paul. And 2 Corinthians is written in this context, where the first seven chapters are written for those individuals that repented. Um, then you've got chapters 10 to 13, which kind of focuses in on that minority that still were in rebellion of Paul. And then we've got chapters 8 to 9. 
um, they feel a little bit different than the rest of the book, and they're focused on this financial gift that Paul was going around and collecting for Christians in Jerusalem who were in need. Now, the Corinthians, a year prior, had demonstrated a strong zeal and a willingness to contribute to this gift. And Paul, in these chapters, as Jeff read for us, is making these arrangements for that gift to be collected by Titus and a few others as well. Now, Paul had been sharing about the Corinthians' strong desire to give with others along his missionary travels, and that passion was stirring others to give as well. In particular, there was a group of believers in the region of Macedonia. So that would be cities like Philippi, Thessalonica, um, Berea, um, who themselves contributed to this gift. And Paul says they contributed to this to this gift under extraordinary circumstances. He shared that they were being afflicted, they were in poverty, but nonetheless, they begged Paul for the opportunity to give, in part because of the expressed zeal for the Corinthians to give. So Paul shares this Macedonian example with the Corinthians and then makes arrangements in these chapters for them to give as well. And in making those arrangements, he weaves in a lot of biblical principles about giving. In fact, many consider 2 Corinthians 8 to 9 to to include the most thorough um, thoughts on biblical giving. And in writing these chapters, Paul seemed to have sensed the Corinthians had perhaps grown reluctant to give, or they might not uh, give as generously as their initial zeal had indicated. So he makes a lot of strong statements throughout these chapters about giving, that, that their giving would prove that their love was genuine, that it was to their benefit to give, and that like other spiritual disciplines, they were to excel in giving. And right before um, our passage this morning, Paul states how he, uh, what he and they would be humiliated if Titus were to come there with his companions, and for some reason they didn't give or didn't give generously. And all throughout, Paul is making these clear connections between their faith and giving before kind of stating the point of what he's getting at here. So listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. And from these verses, I want to make three points this morning. The first one is that giving brings glory to God. Uh, The second point is giving is for everyone. Uh, and that the third point is that giving is done under God's grace. You get your three-point sermon this morning. So um, our first point is that giving brings glory to God. And the point uh, we're really going to be driving towards during this first point is that God uses our giving to reap an eternal God-glorifying harvest, right? God uses our giving to reap an eternal God-glorifying harvest. So Paul starts here by using an agricultural metaphor, 
And if you're like me and never grew up on a farm or don't have a green thumb or have never really planted anything, um, then it's helpful to kind of unpack this metaphor a little bit. I know for some of you this is going to be like drudgery because you get it. Um, but, but when you sow something, um, it means that you are planting it, okay? So if I take something like a tomato seed and I plant it in the ground, I am sowing that seed. Now what's going to happen, hopefully, after I plant that seed? It's going to grow up into a big plant and produce a bunch of tomatoes. And when those tomatoes are fully ripe and ready to go, I will reap them. I will gather them up. I'll make lots of ketchup, use them on my <laughs> sandwiches. Christine can throw them at me when I tell bad jokes, right? <laughs> but Paul says here that whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So, I, so if I sow only a few seeds, or if I sow seldomly, then I'm only going to be able to reap or gather in a few crops. But if I am generous and consistent in sowing seeds, then I'm going to have much more to reap over the course of time. As I've been thinking about this phrase, um, and I've been thinking about it a lot, especially in the context of this passage, I don't think Paul is saying that those who have more to sow are going to reap more because they have more to sow. To me, this is a statement of lifestyle, promoting a habit of generous sowing according to one's means. But from an agricultural standpoint, this makes sense. But Paul is using the metaphor to say something deeper, to say something spiritual, right? to say something about giving. So giving is like planting a seed, a seed that grows into something that is then reaped. But what exactly would be reaped as the result of the Corinthians' giving? Would they get more money? Would they get some sort of tangible thing like a new pig or a new horse? Um, would they be healed of, of a disease or illness from which they were suffering? What is reaped is not something that is material. A tomato, it's a temporary thing. It'll be here, but soon it'll be gone. Same thing with money, cars, even our earthly bodies. It is different. What is reaped or gathered in as a result of our giving at its core is intangible, spiritual, imperishable, um, eternal. Paul unpacks this um, in verses 10 to 15. Listen, listen to this as I read. He who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and, listen to this, increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So, Number one, Paul is saying that God is the one who supplies the seeds. It's all his to begin with anyway, but we sow it, we donate it, we give it, and God multiplies it. And Paul unpacks what is reaped or multiplied 
through this sowing. It would increase the harvest of their righteousness. Right? There is this idea that as they give, um, God uses that to draw people to Christ, to make more people righteous. Um, and they would get to participate in that work through their giving. Also, the Corinthians themselves would become more like Jesus, would become more righteous through their giving. Right? It makes sense. When you give, you are submitting uh, to God and his will and turning over something that is valuable and trusting him to use it for his glory. Also, we become more sacrificial in giving, putting other people's needs above our own. Paul says, too, that what is reaped is that the Corinthians' giving would cause those who benefit from that giving to give thanks to God, and that the Corinthians' giving would draw them and those that they were assisting into greater unity. So again, the idea here is that God uses our giving to reap an eternal, God-glorifying harvest. And as I was thinking of a modern-day example to illustrate this point, uh, my mind turned to our summer missions teams. We've got one team that's out in Czech right now. We've got another team that's getting ready to go to Canada in just a couple of weeks. And in the lead-up to these trips, we have been provided opportunities to to make donations, right, so that people, the people from our church body can participate in these trips. So we've had opportunities to sow seed or or money that God has given us and watch God multiply that seed through what happens on these trips and the lead up to these trips and after these trips. And what is reaped is much bigger and more eternal than just transporting some people to a different country. What is reaped is that those who have been preparing to go on the trip praise God as they see people coming together to supply and provide for their needs. What is reaped is that our unity and the unity between those we're going to serve grows stronger. The faith and the perspective of our team members grow as they work and operate in a different context. God uses the seed to draw unbelievers to Christ. So the more often that we sow and the more generously, more generously that we sow according to our means, the more consistently we can reap and watch God increase the harvest of our righteousness. So let's adopt a lifestyle of giving, knowing that through regular, generous sowing, that God reaps the eternal, God-glorifying harvest. So giving brings glory to God. Now let's talk about our second point, which is that giving is for all of us. Giving is for all of us. Paul goes on to say the following in chapter 9, verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Well, something I'm going to be driving towards here in this point is that giving is something with which we should all be engaged. Giving is something with which we should all be engaged. Paul states that each of them would decide in their heart. I know some translations say mind about giving, but as a heart or a mind matter, it was something with which they were to wrestle and pray through. It wasn't something that they were to be passive about or just simply check off a list. 
Sometimes we think that giving is pretty straightforward and that the Bible commands us to give a tithe or 10% and that's it. And if we do that, we're doing our job. If we can't do that, we're failing, so we feel guilty. We don't do anything. We avoid thinking about it and engaging with it at all and just let other people do it. Um, But giving has always been a matter of the heart. It's not a percentage. It's not a specific amount. And the Macedonian Christians are our example here. Um, In chapter 8, verses 1 to 5, Paul says this about the Macedonians. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. And a couple verses down in verses 11 to 12, Paul says to the Corinthians and encouraging them to finish their giving, he says, so now finish doing it well so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. Now in the Old Testament, God created a giving structure um, for Israel based on giving a tithe, but that for them was required giving. And it's, it's in contrast to something called free will giving or grace giving or heart giving, which is mentioned often um, in the Old Testament. But as it concerns the tithe or required giving, the Israelites were actually required to give more than just a tenth because there were multiple tithes established for them um, um, as a nation. There was something called the Lord's tithe. There was another thing called the festival tithe. And every uh, three years, there was another tithe called the poor tithe. So really, they were required to give about 23.3% each year. And in contrast to tithing, the Old Testament is filled with examples of heart-based or free will giving. And you can read in books like Exodus or Chronicles of people giving willingly, freely, according to their means, from their heart to help construct things such as the tabernacle um, or the temple. So giving is meant to be a matter of the heart. It's not a percentage. It's not meant to be easy. And it's a decision that we, that we all make. You know, maybe God will move on your heart to give 10% or 50% or 5% or 17.257%. And it can change day to day, month to month, year to year, depending on circumstances, challenges, and other ways God is moving in your life. But it's something that we are to be active in, engaged with, praying through. It's something that should be sacrificial. I remember one time Chris Hudson said this, and it, 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 it struck me. He said, it should hurt a little um, when we give. And it's going to look differently for all of us. It should be generous within our means. But Paul says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, and then goes on to say, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. But giving is not meant to be done reluctantly. You're not meant to feel forced to give. It's meant to be done willingly, freely, and it's meant to be cheerful. 
It's interesting the way that Paul talks about giving as a spiritual discipline here and earlier on in chapter 8. He says that giving is not a command. The Corinthians were not to do it because they felt forced or because they felt coerced into it. But at the same time, Paul says earlier that giving would be proof that their love is genuine and that it was to their benefit to give. They weren't to avoid it. And Paul makes a powerful statement here when he says that God loves a cheerful giver. I don't know about you, but anything that follows the word God loves gets my attention. Um, And here, Paul says that God loves a cheerful giver. Not a giver who's giving out of guilt, not a giver who's giving because they feel forced, rather a giver who is decided in their heart to give, that knows what God does and accomplishes with our giving. And if you're someone who feels forced to give or who gives reluctantly, I would suggest that you stop giving and get with God to pray through um, why in your heart you might feel that way. Because giving should be uh, willing. It should be a joyful act, and it is something with which all of us should be engaged. As I've been preparing for this, I've been thinking, of course, a lot of my own experience with giving. And I've been really challenged, to be honest with you, uh, by the notion that giving is something in which our hearts should be cheerfully engaged. Because for me, a lot of my giving is done without a lot of thought, a lot of, a lot of emotion. Giving can become, for me, a lot very transactional especially in our digital age where everything happens automatically now through auto bill pay and electronic funds transfer and the like. And, you know, I tend to monitor our finances and budget, and I'm regularly looking to see what transactions are going through each week. And when I notice we haven't given to church for the month, I'll say something like, hey, Christine, it's time, it's time for us to, to give to the church. And she says, okay. Um, and that's pretty much it. That's my engagement typically. Um, or I'll look to see if our auto payments have gone through to the missionaries that we're supporting. But a lot of times, it's all transactional. No heart, no cheer, no reflection on what God has been reaping through our giving and how he's using it for his glory. For me, all too often, it's just treated like our utilities or our groceries for the month. And for me, our giving is something that we established, you know, a couple of years ago. It's not something that we've been actively thinking through and considering as, as God gives and he takes away throughout the, the rhythm of our life. But, but I don't think it's meant to be that way, right? Just like my heart is engaged in prayer or in reading the Bible or in worship, so too should it be engaged in giving and giving sacrificially. Instead of just a transaction, it should bring me cheer to know that I am investing in the advancement of God's kingdom, that I'm partnering with missionaries to draw people to Christ, and that my support of this very church is being used by God to have his word preached and community built and lives transformed and have the gospel go forth through ministries like our sports camp in a couple of weeks. Now, while my giving to KBC manifests itself in paying salaries and mortgages and the like. It's doing so much more. It's having an impact uh, for the kingdom. But the Bible doesn't say that God loves a mindless and a passive giver. He loves a cheerful giver. I need to be more engaged in this, and I hope that you will join me um, as I seek to. So, all right, so giving brings glory to God. Giving is for all of us. Um, And finally, let's talk about the third point this morning, which is giving is done under God's grace. 
2 Corinthians 9, 8 to 9 state, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. So what I'm going to be trying to drive towards here is that God, by his grace, will give us what we need to excel at giving. God, by his grace, will give us what we need to excel at giving. So we need to talk about the role of God's grace in all of this. I think that grace sometimes is one of those words and truths that we, that we throw around so much that we can almost forget what it means and its deep significance in our Christian lives. You know, grace, the idea of grace is getting something that you don't deserve and that you couldn't do on your own, but it's provided to you anyway. It's provided to you freely. And one of our God's attributes is that he is a God of grace. And we most closely align God's grace in terms of our salvation. We know, we sh- most of us know Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 by heart, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. In terms of our salvation, we're not saved by anything we have done, right? In the very beginning, God made the world. He made our original parents rulers of the world under him, but they rejected God, brought sin into the world, passed that sin on to all of us. Now, none of us naturally desires to follow God. We're all sinners. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God after the first death in hell. That's the path that we were all heading on. But God, but God, uh, because he is a God of grace, provides for us what we don't have the resources to provide, provides for us what we don't deserve. He himself saves us through the work of Jesus Christ who bore our punishment. Paul earlier on says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Not for God's grace, none of us would be saved. And if I was to go around to each person here and ask, do you have faith in God's grace and that by that grace he has provided you the free gift of salvation? I'm assuming that most people here would say, yes, I do. Amen. But our need of God's grace and the role of God's grace in our lives doesn't end with our salvation. You could say that the day that we are saved is just the beginning of a grace-dependent life. We need God's help, um, his grace, his resources, and everything because living the Christian life would be impossible by our own strength. But God is a God of grace. And when we continually call on him for help to do what we couldn't do on our own or what might seem impossible on our own, and by his grace he provides those resources, God gets the glory. And grace works in all aspects of our lives, not just giving. Paul tells us that God's grace abounds so that we can do every good work, right? God calls me to be humble, and I want to be humble, but it's hard because the temptation to lift myself up is really strong. So I pray to God for help, for his grace to be extended to me in this area. I want to be the kind of parent and husband that honors God, but it's hard because so often I want to be selfish. I want to hold on to to anger. So I pray to God, ask for his help, 
for his grace to be extended to me in this area. When I'm, in, when I'm going through a trial, going through something that's hard, so often I want to give up or throw in the towel. So I pray for steadfastness, for God's grace to be extended to me in this area. We are meant to live a grace-dependent life, right? Um, I don't, we don't have the resources or the strength to live for God on our own. And just like we believe that God was gracious to us in offering salvation in Christ through faith, we need to recognize that that same grace is offered abundantly to us as we seek to live for him. And God wants us to live by his strength and his power, not our own. He wants us to believe that his grace is sufficient for us, as Jesus told Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Giving can make us nervous, right? Especially when we talk about giving generously, abundantly, consistently. Like, why is that? Right? Because we find a lot of security in our money. It has a hold on us. It can become so easy to idolize. And it becomes so easy to rationalize why we shouldn't give. But if we are passionate about seeing God glorified and believes that he, believe that he uses our resources to bring him glory, if we prayed through our giving, decided in our hearts that it is good to give and we want to do it even though it's hard, we need to believe and have faith just like we do in a lot of other areas that God is a God of abundant grace. And that by that grace, he's going to give you what you need so you can give to others. So let's wrap this up. Um, I began this morning um, by sharing about a significant beginning in my own life, one that has set the course for me over these past uh, 20 years. And one of my prayers uh, to God this morning has been that he would use today to be a significant beginning for others, for us as a church, that he would begin working in our hearts anew uh, for years to come to excel at giving, to be generous, sacrificial um, givers. You know, July began a new fiscal year for our church or a new ministry year. And let's make this a year where we as a church body seek to excel at giving. A few months ago during our family meeting, uh, Steve Shalgren walked us through our finances and uh, Jeff Lewis, he followed up by sharing, like if we ever want to get into our own building, for example, there's no way we could do that essentially unless we were to give more um, or have another change in our finances. And, and Pastor Jesse followed up that our financial stewardship as a body and as individuals um, is part of our growth as doers of the word and not just hearers only. Now, we're not launching a building campaign or putting thermometers on the website. I love thermometers, though, as a fundraiser. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to a thermometer. I don't think it's anti-biblical. Um, but, let's, but let's make this a year, like maybe even as you go home today, where we consider in our hearts what we should be giving. 
that we consider what generous, bountiful giving looks like for each of us according to our means, to make this a year where we give to our capacity according to God's grace in our lives. And maybe that giving will lead us into being able to move into our own building. Or maybe that will lead us into realizing that, you know, this is our home and we're going to stay here and advance the gospel through this space. But let's find out what our capacity is and let's together excel at giving, not only to KBC, but to other uh, missionaries or organizations that help to advance the gospel. Realizing that God uses our giving for his giving, for his glory, that giving is for all of us. And when the desire is there, God by his grace, is going to give us what we need to be generous. KBC, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray um, what we sang just, uh, just a little bit ago um, would be true to us. Take my silver and my gold, um, not a mite, uh, would I withhold. God, we, we just thank you for who you are and for your grace being um, extended to us primarily through the work of Jesus, God, but also in our day-to-day lives that you, that you cause us to live. And as it concerns giving, God, I pray that you would help each of us to consider this topic, um, what your word says about it, and consider in our hearts how we should be engaged with giving. God, may we find ultimate security in you, not in anything in this world, especially money. And may we seek to honor you in all aspects of our lives. May we seek to advance your kingdom as we follow Jesus by growing Jesus followers. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K I S H Bible.org.